Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being the King of all kings, Lord. We come to glorify you here tonight. Lord, we know your power, God, and how you can raise us from the dead, Lord. I think about how the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 that his desire is to know you and the power of your resurrection, God, and that's what we desire tonight. Lord, you change us. You make us into who you want us to be, Lord. And it's not on our own, but it's by your work, God. And I, I, I thank you so much that it's that, Lord, because I know I cannot do it on my own. So we give you, God, glory. We give you all the majesty and honor because it's you who work in our life. So I ask, God, that you would bless your word tonight now, anoint it with your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke, Luke chapter 6. And we return now to our study through the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. And uh, as you're turning there, just a little reminder about uh, communion this Sunday. So all you guys online, welcome online people too, that uh, get your elements ready and we'll have our uh, pre-packaged elements here for Sunday, so just prepare your heart for that. And also, Sunday, all the gifts are due for the angel tree. So I ask you guys to please have them in by this weekend, and we're looking forward to being able to give the gifts too. So please sign up for that. Uh, we're, we want to arrange the teams and everything. And uh, So anyway, uh, we really ask you guys to help out in that too. Well, years back, I came across this article about this three-year-old boy, and they called him Super Toddler. Liam Hoekstra is his name, could easily lift five-pound weights with each of his arms. I mean, this is a three-year-old. The article said he helps his mother move furniture around the house and all that, too. Well, doctors say that Liam has a rare condition called myostatin, related muscle hypertrophy, which basically means the muscle mass has developed at a faster rate than a normal child. They say he has 40% more muscle mass than the average child his age. So think about this. So he has this accelerated, you know, muscle growing, right? When he was two days old, he was able to stand with support. Two days old, his legs were strong. At five months, he could do the iron cross. At eight months old, he was doing pull-ups himself. At nine months old, he was climbing up and down the stairs. And at 19 months, he hung upside down and did inverted (laughs) sit-ups. Crazy. His adoptive mother was quoted saying, He's already eating me out of house and home. (laughs) Because all that protein. But she also said this, He snaps toys in half during temper chance. (laughs) (laughs) Tantrums. <laughs> I thought that was funny, huh? Well, how unlikely to find a three-year-old doing all these things. Well, Jesus, we see here tonight in our passage, he chooses 12 ordinary guys to be his disciples and to do something totally unlikely, and that's to become his apostles. 
So these are 12 unlikely men, and that's the title of our message this, tonight. 12 unlikely men, and we're going to be going from uh, Luke chapter 6 from verse 12 through 16 tonight, our next section as we make our way through this gospel. Now there's three things we're going to see here, and this is our point too. Number one, first Jesus prays first. Number two, God's choice is God's calling. And number three, puzzling but priceless picks. So that's our outline tonight and also, as I mentioned, our points that we're going to see. Well, 12 unlikely men, let's begin here. First, Jesus prays first. Number one, first, Jesus prays first. Now for this, take a look at verse 12. Verse 12. It says here, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. We'll stop there, and here we begin with Luke writing in this section, in these days. Well, what days are these? Well, if you remember, we've been seeing Jesus sort of having some confrontations with the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember all that going on? So the Pharisees were beginning to get more hostile toward Jesus. Remember last time, they wanted to get him. They wanted to see if they might do to Jesus. And they were planning all that in above verse and verse. In 11. So here's, here's these Pharisee guys, the religious leadership. Now they're, they're coming after Jesus. So it was in these days at this time that as he's heading to the cross, which was actually the ultimate thing, right? They end up, uh, uh, beach, then, uh, end up uh, putting him on the cross, bringing him before Rome and getting him uh, to die on the cross. Well, in those times when things are getting more hostile, well, he went out to the mountain to pray. So he went into a secluded spot. He went to pray alone there up in the mountains. And he went to pray and he prayed all night. He continued in prayer to God. So this was an all night prayer meeting. He basically had a meeting with the Father God. And why is that? Well, we see in the next part and in this section is that he's going to choose 12 unlikely men to be his disciples and they are going to be trained to be the apostles. So so here's Jesus. He went out to the mountain and he had to pray because this was a huge decision. He needed to seek the Father. Now Jesus being all human, all God and all human, and he voluntarily laid aside his humanness, he was seeking the Father, so he wanted to do the Father. So, and so he went to pray and to find out who is the disciples going to be? Because you think about it, this will affect the whole world, right? Who he chooses, I mean, Christianity is going to change the whole world. And these guys are going to be ministering, you know, for Jesus. So he needs to really find out who these guys are. So Jesus took time, took the time to seek the Father's will. And isn't that what prayer is about anyway? That we go to God and we find out, what does God want? Robert Law said, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done in earth. I like that, right? Because many times we go to prayer like, Oh God, please do this, please do that. But, But I like this, what Jesus did. He went to God to say, God, what do you want me to do? So that's what prayer is about. So, That's why we see this in this important decision he has to make, that first Jesus prays first. That should always be the thing. You know, we need to be submitted to whatever God wants. And the best way to find that out is in the Word and in prayer. 
And in specific things, we got to be in prayer. And I, throughout my lifetime as a Christian, I, I, I've been brought through many lessons on this. And it's important that I go to God first, no matter what it is. And even no matter how easy the decision might be or how logical it might be. One of those times when I learned to really seek God first was when I was about to ask this singer on the worship team to step down. From, from the team. Uh, it, when I was in, on staff at a Calvary in California, I was placed in, in leadership over the worship team, and, and, and they already had all these people, and there was a lot, lot of the people on there, I'm thinking, I don't know why they're there, you know, what the previous leader was doing. But um, so little by little, actually, uh, people had quit and, and left and stuff, and, but, and so we were down to the, the main people, but then there was this one girl, and she had good tone. She sounded really good, but she wasn't really consistent in her pitch. I don't know if she would go out of tune consistently. So after a while trying to work with her, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I, it, it, I gotta talk to her. You know, it, it's not working here. Uh, she's not being able to, you know, really sing and, she, you know, I don't want her embarrassed on the mic and all, all that. And so I, I thought, well, the most logical thing to do, right? And it made sense is, well, I got to talk to her and, and, and do this hard thing. Now, as I was walking to the, back to the soundboard and I was just thinking about all these things and thinking about, you know, Lord, I, I got to do this. And, and they're practicing on the stage at this rehearsal night. And I was walking back to the sound room and all of a sudden the Lord just stopped me and said, no, no, don't talk to her. No, she, she needs, she's going to, uh, I want her on the team. And he just stopped me and asked me to just trust him and all that. So I thought, okay, all right, Lord. And God really impressed that and spoke to me about that. Well, two weeks later, just, just one week and then the next week after that, she came up to me and told me that on her own, she went and signed up for singing lessons, for a private singing lessons somewhere. And from then on, everything just changed for her. And, and she was a solid person on the team. And so I like that because God knew all along, you know, what was going to happen. God knew all along. Yeah, even though to my mind, to my perspective, didn't look like, well, I don't know if this is going to work out, right? But God knew. And so I like this where first, Jesus prays first. And, and I think that's what we need to do. With, because a lot of times, we, our logic tells us, ah, no, 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 let, let, let's do this. Or no, I need to do this. Or, or something that makes sense to us. We look at everything, our perspective, we weigh things out. We go, yeah, yeah, we, we need to do this. Yeah, Lord, you know, and then, and then we pray about it. But we need to go and ask this question. Is it of God? Even if it makes sense. I mean, many times God has us do things that don't make sense. That put us in maybe in a place of faith, you know, like, well, if I do this, I'll have more money. There'll be more provision. But if I don't do this, then, well, I don't know, Lord, this makes more sense. I mean, my family, everything. But then God might say, no, I want you to do this and trust me in it, right? So it's always good to go to the Lord and do what Jesus said, first pray first. Yeah? First thing you do is, is go and seek God out and what He wants, no matter 
make sense or not, no matter what it is. And, you know, I would even say this, even seek God out. If, if you feel being led by God to do something, continue to seek God in that. Because I, I have had God like lead me to well, some steps and all of a sudden everything seems to not work out. And I'm, I'm going, Lord, and he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, don't do it. And I don't know why I took three steps, but the fourth step didn't work and looked like I was going through step five. But God has his reasons in all of this. And, and uh, I, I'll tell you sometime later, but there was an incident where it all worked out in that way. And years later, he revealed to me why that was. You know what we do? We usually make the decision first. Then we go to God and say, God bless it. Right? But see here, the most important thing that Jesus did was to go to the Father to find out His will. And that was His mission, right? To fulfill the Father's will and glorify the Father. So we see how first Jesus prays first. So let's follow His lead and pray first, always. So you never know if God is a plan like these 12 unlikely men He's going to choose. All right, number two now. God's choice is God's calling. This is the second thing we'll see. First, Jesus prays first, and now we're going to see God's choice is God's calling. And this is verse 13. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose them from 12 whom he named apostles. So after seeking God's will, or the Father's will all night, yeah, then the daylight came, and the day came, and he woke up, or he didn't wake up, he was praying all night, and he got up, and he went out to his disciples, Jesus called, now it says here, his disciples. Now at this time, there was probably, they say, maybe 70 to 100 disciples. There was a lot of men following him. They are following, they see him, they're believing him, they're beginning. And so you remember another gospel, he sent 70 out, right, to on a missions trip or um, even... At a certain point when he was really manifesting himself as Christ, some of them left, right? Some of the things he was saying was hard for them to really receive, and a lot of them left, right? Well, at this point, there's like 70 to 100, they say, following Jesus. So he goes, calls all his disciples, and then out of them, it says he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So, interesting, Jesus chooses 12 Men, why is that? Well, uh, commentators, scholars kind of speculate. Could be like uh, reflecting the 12 tribes of Israel. Like back then in the Old Testament, there was 12 leaders, each one a leader over the tribes that were like the elders, you know, of Israel in that sense. Well, it could be a reflection of here, maybe in that thought that this is the new leadership that God is putting together for this new covenant in Christianity through Jesus Christ. So it could be that, but we know there's 12 uh, disciples, the main leaders are the heads now, the 12 disciples, and he named them apostles. In other words, they're, they're going to become his apostles, official ones. Now, apostle means sent out. It means sent out one. A disciple actually means like learner or student, but apostle means literally sent out ones or messengers or you can even almost translate it as ambassadors. So these disciples that are going to be trained to be the apostles of Jesus when he dies and rises again and goes to heaven, ascends to heaven, they're going to go on 
and carry on this work. So that's why it's so important who Jesus chooses. And he chooses these 12 to be the apostles as uh, to come as time goes on. So these 12 were meant to be, were, these 12 men were to be trained to be the official ministers representing Jesus Christ. And this is now, understand, Jesus went to pray, then he came down and he cho- chose these guys, right, after his prayer. So think about this. God chose these guys, right? And we see that God's choice is God's calling. He's calling, he already had disciples, but he's calling these guys to step up now. And so we see God's choice is God's calling. God called them to be the apostles. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And of course, he's talking about all of us as we serve the Lord. But I was thinking how specifically God chose these guys. It wasn't that they said, well, I'll do it, I'll do it, and volunteer. It wasn't like Jesus said, well, who, who wants to be an apostle? And only 12 of them raised their hands. Or it wasn't any of their own doing, right? I mean, they were there following Jesus. But to step up and get this official call, God, I'm sorry, God's choice is God's calling here. And so he called them through his choice. I was thinking about this um, just about almost now 30 years. Next year will be 30 years ago. I walked into the sanctuary where we were going to church at Discovery Chapel and and we were attending, and I was checking on a, a, a problem with one of the master cassette tapes back then of the, of the sermon. Um, uh, of the sermon, I was over the sound and, and all that, so I just want to make sure I heard there was a problem with it. So um, I was serving in the church. I was actually on the worship team. I was over the sound ministry. I was doing cakey worship. <laughs> I was uh, over and, and involved in some other things, um, and, and I've been feeling this call to, to ministry and all, but on this afternoon, I just happened to walk into the sanctuary to get this master tape, and the pastor of the church was there, and, and um, I, don't, I don't know why he was there, but that chance meeting was actually, he ended up asking me to come on staff. And that was really the beginning of this 13-year journey of being a pastor in this ministry and even, you know, bringing me here to this day. And I don't know what exactly why he was there because he's normally not there. I thought, well, maybe he was praying and I happened to walk in. Maybe that was confirmation. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, he's the one who talked to me and asked me, called me. And I, I see it. I, I look back and think how, how God did that. You know, God called me to the ministry. It wasn't something, you know, I wanted to do, or it wasn't something that, hey, hey, pick me, pick me. You know, it's just it just happened to happen in that way. But at the same time, you know, I look back and I think, why did God take a chance on me? You know, why, 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 why did He do it? I mean, a lot of times I'm slow to understand, I'm weak in faith, I can handle maybe situations immaturely, uh, I rely on my own strength sometimes and my own thinking. I mean, I, I feel like, really, even as I stand today, this unlikely candidate. But you know what comforts me? That I see I was God's choice because it was His calling. Yeah. So when God chooses someone, 
It's God's calling. It's his will, his plan in all of this. And, and no matter how I see myself, this is God's will in whatever he wants to do. So, you guys, be encouraged tonight. If God, and we'll see, if God can choose these guys, you know, he can use anybody. If God has me here today and called me, chose me, and has me here, you know what? I'll tell you right now, he can use anybody. Because <laughs> I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But I know I'm somebody in Jesus because he died on a cross for me. And he can use a nobody because he chose me and he called me to do this. He, he, he can use each one of you. And he wants to use you for his glory. The question is, when God calls you, will you step up to the plate though, right? Or sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know how the disciples were, but... You know, I'm sure they're pretty hungry for this, but sometimes we get a call, but it, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. Or, you know, and, and we have this just low view of ourselves and, and we start kind of backpedaling. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, God, you know. And, but, you know, think about this. If God chooses you, then he's calling you. And if you, if you start like backpedaling and start stepping back, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And you start looking, oh, I'm not that good. Or I'm not, you know You know what? You're hindering what God wants to do in your life. Think about it that way. Think about it that way. Remember this, God's calling is really God's enabling. If he calls you, he's going to enable you, give you the ability and the power to do what he wants you to do. Our natural thinking, I think, as human beings is, well, well if I have the ability, okay, then, then I feel like I'm qualified. right? But that's not the way God thinks. God says, well, I'm just I'm going to choose you because of his plan and his will. And whether you have the ability or whether you're not, you don't, God's going to give it to you. And even if you have a little talent, it's God anyway, right? And even with the iPhone, if maybe a little talent maybe I have, God just multiplies that and matures that and grows that into like nothing I could ever be or do on my own. So understand this. If God chooses you, then God has called you. And if God has called you, then God will enable you. You see how that all works? And we're going to see that with these 12 unlikely men. Well, let's go on to number three now. Number three, puzzling but priceless picks. I thought about this for a long time, you know. It's puzzling <laughs> that God would choose these guys. But they end up being priceless picks for his kingdom. So first Jesus prays first. And we understand God's choice is God's calling. And now puzzling but priceless picks. Now this is going to cover the rest of our section. And we're going to take this in pieces. Because there's three groups of four here we're going to see. So beginning in verse 14 we'll get the first four uh, disciples that were chosen. Simon, verse 14, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and 
John. And we'll stop there. So this is the first group of four. Now, the commentators tell us it looks like in these three groups of four, the first person probably is the leader of the group. And here we begin with Simon, whom he named Peter. And we know what a leader Peter was. With He's kind of famous for being that. And he became a main leader and head guy for the church later on when Jesus ascended into heaven. Well, this is Simon. That's his given name. But Jesus changed his name to Peter later on, which means small stone or small rock. Jesus gave him that name, and I bet when, the, when, the, when Jesus gave him that name that all the other disciples probably were laughing. Peter, a rock? Well, that's just the opposite. For much like you and me, Peter, he was unstable and impulsive. That's what we know about him. That's what we see in the stories in the Gospels. Yeah? Simon Peter, he was unstable and impulsive. I mean, we find that in the, in the New Testament, right? Peter was first to say, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Oh, no way, I'll never. He was all filled with emotion and impulsiveness. And he's like, no, no, I won't deny you. But he was the first to deny him, right? He was the one to really deny him. We know Peter was the one who took out the sword when Jesus was being arrested and started just hacking away. No, I'm going to take care of you. And people joke, oh, he was so good with the sword, he, he only cut off the ear of that the priest's servant, right? And then Peter, right, was the one who's like, Jesus, you are Christ, right? And then right after that, Jesus, come over here. Hey, uh, don't talk about the cross. You shouldn't talk like that. And rebuke the Lord Jesus, right? The Lord God. And what did Jesus? Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan for what he said. So here's Peter. He's impulsive. He's, he's unstable. And Jesus names him Rock, right? Small rock here. Well, but we know after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after being with Jesus, right? In Acts 2, who stood up and preached the first sermon after Pentecost? Peter did. In Acts 2.41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Isn't that great? God used Peter in a mighty way. And then Peter, who has made so many mistakes, foot in the mouth, unstable, impulsive. You know, he was the first apostle to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God chose him to do that with that vision, right? And then we know God used Peter to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter right here in our Bibles. So we find Peter actually became the spiritual rock that Jesus saw in him. So puzzling why God would choose him, but later priceless. He was a priceless pick for Team Jesus. Now let me tell you, tradition tells us how after Peter was forced to watch his wife's crucifixion, he requested that he be crucified upside down, for he felt unworthy to die like his Lord Jesus did. Peter, kind of puzzling why God would choose him, but in the end we saw how being with Jesus just changed him well the second disciple here is andrew his brother so the second one here in this first group of four is andrew uh, andrew was uh, peter's brother and another fisherman so these guys weren't like educated they weren't priests they didn't go seminary none of that uh, 
Andrew actually was first a disciple of John the Baptist. He was actually already kind of following. And then uh, John said, there's the Messiah. And he went and followed Jesus. And Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus in John 1. So we see with Andrew, uh, much like many of us, Andrew always lived in the shadow of his brother. And he was always in that second place. I was thinking about that uh, British triple uh uh, jumper Philip Ndou failed to get gold in the 2009 Olympics by five centimeters, just five centimeters, even though he won a silver in the Olympic Games. And that's not bad to me, but for him, he was devastated. Second, no way, he wanted gold, and silver was to him a sign of failure. Sometimes we feel like that. If we live in the shadow of someone, maybe a sibling, all the time we're second, all the time we're second. But you know what? Andrew wasn't phased at all. Because even later on, after being with Jesus, he was bringing people to uh, Jesus, right? I mean, he did his brother, Andrew, uh, and Philip actually brought the Greeks to Jesus in John 12. In John 6, 9, Andrew was the one who brought the boy with the loaves and the fish and saying, hey, there, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, you know, like to help feed them. So here's Andrew, even though maybe he lived under this, maybe it wasn't the greatest pick. He was second, you know, but he was picked first here and he was a priceless pick for Team Jesus. Tradition tells us Andrew led the wife of a Roman governor to the Lord. When this wife refused to, to deny her faith, Her husband, the governor, crucified Andrew on an X-shaped cross. They say he hung for days in pain and agony, but he kept preaching the gospel for anyone coming by as long as he could speak. They say of, of the apostle Andrew, he died as he lived bringing people to Jesus. I love that. I love that. Inspiring for us. The third name here is James. Now James... He's a fisherman too, brother to John, which we'll talk about next. They were the sons of the father Zebedee, sons of Zebedee. Or they are better known as the sons of thunder, James and John. Now, in Mark 3, 13, they were talking about how how they were so outspoken, intense in that way. So for much like you and me, James was this critical and legalistic guy. James was this critical and legalistic guy. There's an incident in Luke chapter 9, we'll we'll see that later too, when the Samaritans did not want Jesus to come through and stay in Samaria. So he went around, and both James and John went to Jesus and asked him, you like us? Call down fire from heaven to burn them up? You know, Jesus says, no, I came to save life, not to destroy. So that was that attitude. Here's James and John. But after being filled with Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what? James became the first martyr in Acts 12.2. Herod killed James and and, uh, had had him, uh, 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 his head was cut off, they say. So it's crazy how Jesus would pick this guy who is so critical and legalistic, but he was this He became this priceless pick for Team Jesus. Tradition says that the guard who was watching James, you know, on guard over James, 
was touched by his courage, his peace, and he actually, just the presence of God was with James, so the guard asked and begged him for forgiveness for his part in the execution. You know what James did? He gave him a hug and says, Peace to you, I forgive you. And the guard right then and there accepted Jesus Christ and was beheaded with James. Amazing. Here's this guy, call fire down, but he's reaching out even to this guard, yeah, part of this execution. John, the last name here in this first group of four, brother of James, it says here, right? And uh, uh, like him, outspoken, intense, as we mentioned already. And for much like you and me, I, I would say John was like really strict and insensitive. He was a legalist too. They were kind of like, but I was thinking how insensitive and strict he was. In Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 49 and 50, John had informed Jesus that some people were casting out demons using Jesus' name. And Jesus told him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So John's like, hey, they're not following the rules. They're not part of us. How could they do that? You know. And, and so he's, he's real strict, real insensitive in that way. But after being with Jesus, God used John to write the book of John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. You know, in 1st John 4.11, John wrote, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that word love, the word agape, John, in his gospel, he used the word agape more than a hundred times. He became known as the apostle of love. Isn't that great? God transforms people. It's puzzling why God would choose him, but priceless later, he was a priceless pick for Team Jesus. We know John was tasked to take care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and tradition says he did all the way until Mary passed away. He, it, uh, we understand that he pastored the church of Ephesus, and then there was an attempt to martyr him by boiling him in oil, hot oil. They dunked him in hot oil, but it didn't work. He survived. Since it didn't work, he was banished to the island of Patmos, where that's where he received the book of Revelation. That came out of this attempt to, to kill him. And John ended up being the only one who died in his old age. That's John, the apostle of love. So that's the first group of four. Now the next next group is the second group of four. And take a look here. As we go on in verse 14, it says, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, verse 15. So this is the next group, and we begin with Philip, this disciple. Now, it seems like Philip in the Bible, uh, we, we kind of feel like he was in charge of the food. Uh, but we see, much like you and me, Philip was very analytical about things, very logical and weak in faith. In John 6, Philip told Jesus, you know what, it'll take, or even 200 denarii, which is eight months worth of wages, would not be enough to pay and feed these 5,000 people here. And he said that after all the miracles that Jesus did. His focus was on the calculations and not on the ability of God and Jesus being right there. But after being with Jesus, we know that his faith grew Traditions tell us he was hung upside down by his feet and stakes were driven into his ankles and thighs where he actually bled to death. 
But his faith stood strong, keeping his eyes on eternal realities. Now I'm going to try and move quicker here. We, uh, Bartholomew, next, otherwise known as Nathaniel. Maybe you know that name, Nathaniel. Philip had told him about Jesus, and much like you and me, Nathaniel was prejudiced and looked down on others. That was Nathaniel, you know, because when, when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus in John 146, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. Nah, you know, that kind of thing. Well, after being with Jesus, though, Nathaniel went all over. He, they say he proclaimed Jesus, uh, even that some accounts say India, then Persia, Egypt, Armenia, and he was killed for bringing the love of Jesus to all peoples. He was, they don't know, but tradition says, a couple stories says either he was beheaded or skinned alive and crucified. Next name we have here is Matthew, otherwise known as, you guys remember? Levi. We just talked about him in chapter 5, right? He was the tax collector, right? That was, uh, Jesus reached out to, and he, uh, Jesus had that dinner in his place and brought up all this accusation and stuff from the Pharisees. Well, much like you and me, Matthew, he compromised his faith. He lived in a worldly way, even though he was a Jewish person here. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, when I, I was looking outside today, when you see a bird sitting on a fence, we have this chain link fence between our property and our neighbor, and you see a bird sitting on, on there, you know, I think about how easy it is for us to be sitting on the fence. And that was Matthew, like one foot in the world, one foot in his material, one foot, you know, being a Jew, one foot in God. Well, that was like Matthew before he came to Jesus. But after coming to Jesus, his life changed radically, right? We saw in chapter 5 already. They say he never turned back, never went back to that fence. He wrote the gospel of what? Mark. No, Matthew, right? This is the same Matthew. And tradition says he died being burned at the stake. Number, uh, the, the next one here, the, the last one in this group, uh, uh, Thomas now. Thomas, Thomas is... Uh, otherwise uh, written as Didymus' twin. We don't know who Didymus is. But he is famous for this. He is famous for uh, being the doubting Thomas. You ever heard that phrase? You're just being a doubting Thomas here, right? Well, much like you and me, Thomas was this pessimist. He saw everything in a negative way. Remember in John 20, the disciples saying, we saw Jesus. He's alive. He's resurrected. He goes, no, he's not. I don't believe you guys. No. You know what? I'll believe it when I could put my finger in his nail prints and in his side, you know, where the spear went in. Well, eight days later, Jesus appeared in, in the room, and there was Thomas with the other disciples. And Jesus is like, come, Thomas, go ahead. Touch, touch my scars. You know, put your finger on my side. And he just looked up to him and said, my Lord, my God, which is a, an awesome confession from Thomas Saying Jesus is God. You can't refute that. You know, to people saying, ah, oh, how do you know Jesus is God? Well, Thomas said, my Lord, my God there. So after seeing Jesus, no more doubt, no more pessimism. They say he went to India sharing Jesus, pastor the church there, they say. And they say he was speared to death for his faith. He was martyred too. All right. We've seen now, let's go to the third group of four. And uh, why were we 
puzzling why God would choose these, but later they were priceless picks. And uh, first one is now we'll just uh, go through this. Here's James, the son of Alphaeus, here in verse 15. Now, James is known really, otherwise known as James the Less, or that means James the Short, or James the Young. How, how do you like to be called that? Hey, James the Short. Oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. So what? You know, it's okay. God loves little people too. So anyway, much like you made James here, he was, he was not too much as known of him, but he was the quiet one. He went like unnoticed. You know, I was thinking about, you know, how sad we didn't get to see the Olympics, yeah? Summer Olympics. And, and one of the things, I don't know if you ever noticed when they do the swimming races, that they focus in on like lane four and five, the, the middle lane. Four, four and five, right, Stephen? Yeah, four and five. The middle lanes, because those are the high qualifiers and stuff. Guys in verse one and eight, who cares? You know, they're like, you know, for sure lo- losers over there. But and that was like James, you know? No, he's the less. He's the short guy, right? He's the quiet one. We don't hardly know anything about him. Maybe you feel like that. But you know what? God is watching those other lanes. And God selected him to be one of the twelve. Well, after being with Jesus, uh, uh, he, he, well, probably was the leader of this group. And tradition says he went to Egypt to lead others to Jesus and was crucified there. Next we see here in uh, verse 15 is Simon, who is called the Zealot. Now, Zealots was actually a group, a political group kind of, and in there back in the times, in the ancient times there. And they're this Jewish radical group. Uh, they wanted to overthrow Rome and they had their own, you know, they, they just, they, they just want to go there. And they, they're like little, you know, terrorists kind of going in and out doing things. So, you know what, much like us, Simon held this misdirected passion with violence. He thought that's the way to take care of things. He thought that's justified. It's for God, right? And he thought that was okay. I don't know. I was thinking it's like what we see in the news lately, right? All the rioting, all the... what? What's the word? I couldn't think of it today when you go into stores and steal things. Looting. All the looting. I mean, you, you think... I think... I, for me, I look at it and go, that's going a little too far. You know, I understand why, why, why you're standing and going out and trying to protest, but when the protesters are rioting and then looting, it's like, I think that's, that's a little, it's going too far with your passion, what you're standing up for. Think about Simon the Zealot. That's him. But after being with Jesus, we see Simon. He's on the same team, you know, with Matthew, a tax collector that he would have hated for sure because he's for the enemy. But they are buddies there. You know, together, part of the team. Tradition says his passion for Jesus took him as far as England and then later martyred in Persia. Then we have uh, Judas, verse 16, the son of James. Now, otherwise known as Thaddeus, that's his name, sometimes Labius, but Thaddeus, I'm a little more familiar with that. Well, much like uh, us, Thaddeus wanted Jesus to do what he expected, what he wanted. In John 14, Thaddeus could not understand why Jesus didn't just come and bring the kingdom, take over the, the Romans, defeat them, get them out of the way. You know what Jesus' response to him was? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Interesting, right? In other words, do what God wants you to do. Follow the Lord. Yeah? Not what you think should happen. 
but follow God's word. Well, after being with Jesus, tradition tells us he was blessed with the gift of healing. And so he obeyed God, brought the gospel to Syria, and they say hundreds were healed, including the king there. And the king gave his life to Jesus, which actually threw the country into turmoil, if you think it's a Muslim country, right? And then an unbelieving nephew clubbed Thaddeus to death. Last disciple here that was chosen here in verse 12 is Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, says here in verse 16, our last verse here. Now we know him. He's the one who turned Jesus in, betrayed Jesus, you know, turned him into the religious leaders, which resulted uh, them giving him to the Romans, and the Romans putting him on the cross and crucifying Jesus. We know Judas was the treasure of the group. We believe that. But we know he also stole money, right? He was, he was taking some of the money and the offerings and stuff for himself. Now, I believe Judas, he, got, he wanted Jesus to bring in a kingdom to too, but I think he wanted just a high position in the new kingdom of God that he believed the Messiah was supposed to establish. But when Jesus didn't do what he wanted, he was disenchanted and he turned on him. And that's why I believe he betrayed Jesus. But here's the thing. It says here, he became a traitor. Verse 16. Now, didn't Jesus know that Judas Iscariot would be the one who would betray him and all these events would come to pass? Why would he choose Judas? Why, why, why is that? That's puzzling to me, right? It's like, huh? Jesus, just keep him out of the gang, you know? But it was all part of God's plan. But much like us, you know what? God gave Judas many chances to repent. He hung with the, the, the team. He heard Jesus' teaching. I'm sure so many times when Jesus' teaching, he was looking at Judas, but and Judas, maybe he, he, he got that conviction, but he never responded in it. I don't know. But I know the final chance that was given Judas was the night before, the night before Jesus went on the cross. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed by him. And Jesus knew this. In John 13, uh, he was talking with the disciples, talking to Peter and John, and he mentioned that, you know what, someone's going to betray me. And everyone's like, going, is it me? Is it me? And then Jesus said, it's, he exposed Judas. He said, it's, it's the one I give this bread to. And he took the bread, dipped it in, in the sauce, and gave it to Judas, which meant Judas was right next to him. Now, there's a couple of things to understand there. In ancient culture, to be seated next to, like, the guest of honor, that's a place of honor. Yeah. Or, or the master. That's a place of honor. And so Judas was right next to Jesus. So th- that was a chance for Judas. And then to take the bread and give it and hand it for the master to do that, that was this act of love. That's what it meant in the ancient times. But tragically, Judas rejected it and went on to be Judas, the betrayer, as we see him here, the traitor here. Even after being with Jesus, sadly, Judas still rejected him. And think about this. Lost the opportunity to know God and be saved. That's what happens. We keep rejecting, rejecting. Our heart gets harder and harder. We get more caught up into our, our, ourselves. Yeah. That's what happened to Judas. Judas, sadly. You know, someone asked a Keiki church teacher, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be his disciple? Well, you know what the teacher said? I don't know, but I have an even harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? 
I like that. Because you know, in each one of us, we have that in us to reject Jesus and keep rejecting it. Even though we're given chances to even turn on Jesus in rebelliousness. Well, this is what we see in all the other, all these all the other disciples, at least, puzzling but priceless picks. Now, we're almost done. I want you to turn to one more scripture and turn to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 now. And we're going to look at verse 21 to 31 quickly here. It's puzzling, but these are priceless picks. And they're there. Why? Because as I mentioned, God does this work. God gives the ability and power. And so look what it says, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, verse 30, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord do you see that I I love this scripture and I love reading this because you know for me I qualify here I'm a foolish one of the world I'm a weak one of the world I'm low I've been despised I've been cast aside I've been looked at as second place or third place or no I'm not going to pick you on the team I've been through all those things yet God chose me and you know what you and I we're we're alike right We're, we're like these disciples and God chooses us because of that so we qualify you guys and you know why so that in the presence of God so that 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 as God uses us and empowers us, He gets the glory. And so we don't boast in ourselves, but we boast in the Lord said, it was God. God did that, not me. So God purposely will choose you and I that are unlikely candidates, yeah, to be used of God, to, like, to serve Him, to, to do anything, you know. Just like he took these unlikely candidates to become apostles, you guys. Apostles. I'll close with this in an old book called Quiet Talks on Service. S.D. Gordon, who lived in the early 1900s, uh, wrote about how he imagined uh, when Jesus returned to heaven after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He's met with the angel Gabriel and and the angel says, Lord, that was amazing. You suffered, you died, and rose again. Do they all know you died for their sins? Does everyone in the world know that? And Jesus said, no, only a few know so far. And then the angel says, well, well what's your plan? How will the world know? Well, Jesus said, I asked Peter, James, John, and uh, a few others to make it their business of their lives to tell others. And then the angel Gabriel goes, that's it? And Jesus said, yeah. Then those who get saved from their message will tell others, and then in turn they'll tell others, and in turn they'll tell others till, till the farthest corners of the earth will hear and know the power of the gospel. But then the angel Gabriel says, what if 
What if Peter fails? Suppose after a while, James and John, they get distracted. They, they don't do that. What, 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 if, what if they get afraid? Then what? Jesus says, I have no other plans. That's all I have. I'm counting entirely on them. They can do it because it's God. They won't fail because it's God. As long as they make the choice to do God's will. When we have Jesus, we're going we're gonna to be okay. We're going to make it. And that's how these disciples could be used so mightily. So, we can be used also, just like these 12 unlikely men. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you for choosing these guys and just being able to study this and go deep into who they were and how they lived and how you changed them and how they died. God, it's so inspiring us uh, tonight, Lord. And I pray, God, that each one of us would would see that, would, that we would be humble in our, our weaknesses and our, our inability because we know it's there when we're weak that you are strong. God, thank you that you have redeemed us. It is nothing that we have done, but it is all you, Lord. And as we live this new life and as we begin to serve you and become lights in this dark world, God, it's all you. It's all you, Lord. And so let it be all you, God. May, it, may you be glorified. And though others may look at us, the world may look at us as unlikely candidates, God, to do great things for God. Lord, thank you that that's not the way you see each one of us, Lord. But you do the opposite of what the world thinks. God, you use the foolish, the weak ones, the low and the despised ones, Lord. And I am so glad that that's written there because I know I qualify in that. So God, here we are, humbled before you, knowing that this is what you want. So help us to step out, to do, to be everything you want us to do and be. Let us go, Lord. Go forth and serve you on the mission that you have given each one of us. We look to you, God, for ability, strength, and power. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all